This is Pet Life Radio. Let's talk pets. Hello, you're listening to Animal Party on Pet Life Radio. And today we have a really good show. I've received so many questions by email about your naughty doggies. So we're going to do a naughty doggy show. But I also received an email about coyotes. And so I want to talk about coyotes first. That's how we're going to start the show today. Welcome to the Animal Party. If you live in a big city, you probably think you're safe from coyotes. And you're probably wrong. If you live in the country, you know they're out there and they're getting more and more aggressive. So this is what's happening near Edmonton, Alberta. They are sneaking up on children in backyards. They're attacking dogs on walks. Aggressive coyote behavior is on the rise. And according to people who live there, they've never seen anything like it. Recently, Crystal Benoit was outside with her three kids, two eight-year-old twins. The coyote was actually stalking one of her eight-year-old boys, creeping up on him. And uh, she had to scare it away, you know, like a mama bear jumping up, raising her arms, screaming and yelling, chase it away from her. Fairly large child, eight years old. That's not an infant. So what's going on? Well, there's a few things that are contributing to this rise in coyote attacks. And it's not just Edmonton. It's all kinds of places in North America. One of the reasons is related to a nasty virus that is killing rabbits. And I know that's kind of remote, but that's what the coyotes normally eat. And usually rodents and rabbits are all over the place. And right now there's this disease called, uh, I hope I say this right, rabbit (laughs) hemorrhagic disease. And it's contagious and it's fatal, it's viral, it kills rabbits um, in as little as a day. And it's basically wiping out all the populations of these wild rabbits and hares and little bunnies that that the feral population that has sustained all these coyotes. So now the coyotes need to eat something else. So in one particular place, there was a cemetery in Edmonton that was completely overrun with these little bunnies. And now there's none there. Zero. So you can imagine what the coyotes that live in that area are doing. They're looking for cats and small dogs. So that's one reason. Another reason is there was an increase in dog ownership during the pandemic. And that means there's way more people walking dogs in parks, way more intrusion into their territory, way more of a threat to them, and also way more access to prey. So what do I mean by that? How can your dog be a predator and prey? Well, that's exactly cats too. That's exactly what they are. They will kill things, but they can also be killed by things. And in the coyote's mind, Your dog, most of the time, is either something it can eat, so prey, or something that competes for its food, or something that might kill its puppies, a predator. So in any any of these situations, it's not a friend. It's not an ally. It's not part of the pack. So they really are a threat to your dogs. Now, I know there are some people who, my dog can take on a coyote, or my dog knows how to play with coyotes, is another one they say. And I mean, that's just not a good way to go. First of all, It teaches coyotes how to dominate dogs. It teaches them that dogs are not to be feared. And we want them to run away from our dogs when they hear them barking. We don't want them to mix with them. But besides all that, do you know what coyotes carry? Oh, my goodness. They carry everything you don't want your dog to have, from heartworm to fleas to mange to worms to 
absolutely everything under the sun and some of it is very hard to treat and even hard to detect so you don't want your dog messing with coyotes keep them away all right so what do you do how can you be coyote safe we're going to go through this quickly later in the show i'm going to tell you how to what to do if you encounter a bear and what to do if you encounter a cougar but for now we're going to go with the coyotes so if you encounter a coyote that is aggressive towards you do not run okay if you run they have a really strong drive to chase running things. <laughs> it's just built into them. They just do it. So if you run, it'll chase. So don't run. Back away slowly and speak to it in a loud, firm voice. If you have a really high voice, lower it. Talk in your lowest, deepest voice when you're trying to dissuade a coyote. If you have a walking stick, use that to protect yourself. And if you absolutely have to, where you want to hit the coyote is the ribs and the stomach. Use that stick to deliver a bunch of hard blows or kick it. But that's the last resort because it could easily turn and bite you. And that will lead to a lot of infections and issues for you. Try no contact. Try and use your deep voice and slowly move away. Make yourself look big. If you have any children, grab them. And I don't care if they're 10 or 12, 14, 8, 6 grab them, be together, be one solid unit all together when you face the coyote. So the biggest thing you can do is keep your garbage secured, keep your pets indoors, especially at night, especially cats and small dogs. Forget about bird feeders because they attract coyotes. Feed your pets indoors. Don't leave any food or bones or treats outside. Manage your compost properly. And if you keep chickens or small livestock, you definitely need an electric fence. So that's how you deal with coyotes. All right, we're going to go to break and we're going to come back with a few of your dog problems. And later in the show, I'll cover what to do if you meet a bear and what to do if you meet a mountain lion. Now, I know some of you think this is really remote. You're not likely to meet a bear or a mountain lion. Well, then you ought to come up my way to Canada and go on a little vacation because it is beautiful up here. All right, so stay tuned. We'll be back on Animal Party Pet Life Radio. Take a bite out of your competition. Advertise your business with an ad in Pet Life Radio podcasts and radio shows. There is no other pet-related media that is as large and reaches more pet parents and pet lovers than Pet Life Radio. With over 7 million monthly listeners, Pet Life Radio podcasts are available on all major podcast platforms. And our live radio stream goes out to over 250 million subscribers on iHeartRadio, Odyssey, TuneIn, Stitcher, and other streaming apps. For more information on how you can advertise on the number one pet podcast and radio network, visit PetLifeRadio.com slash advertise today. Let's Talk Pets on PetLifeRadio.com. Hello, you're back on Animal Party on Pet Life Radio. This is Deb Wolf, your host, as always. And if you want to look up some of the training tips I'm going to cover today, you can see me demonstrating them on Deb Wolf Pet Expert YouTube with actually naughty dogs, dogs who are not trained. They're not ringers. I didn't pick my best, most behaved dogs. No, I picked the ones that are just so stubborn and rude and difficult and make their owners frustrated. Those are the dogs I demonstrate with. And you see them go from bad dog to good dog, like a magic trick with just some simple techniques. So today we have some questions. Why do dogs chase each other? 
Okay, that's a good one. And I know it was sent in by a kid. And I really, I really appreciate that. Thank you. She says she doesn't want me to use her name, but I love this question. Why do dogs chase each other? Okay, well, why do kids chase each other? Why does anybody chase anybody? Why do people play tag? Why do people go jogging? Why do people play football? Chase for dogs is all those things. It's jog and it's tag. And it's the same kind of thing when you try to tackle someone and then you you avert the tackle that tests your reflexes, that sort of quick movement. It's just the best way when dogs play with each other and run and play like that. It's the best way they can test all of their skills. They're jumping, they're bounding, they're running, they're turning, they're stopping, they're wrestling, all of it. So that's why dogs chase each other, because it's so fun. Okay, I've got another question. Is it all right to feed my dog broth? Okay, now that's a big question because you don't say which broth. It is great to feed your dog homemade broth, chicken broth, beef broth, whatever, turkey broth right now, because we just had Thanksgiving in Canada and Thanksgiving's coming up in America. So turkey broth. But the trick is the store-bought ones often have ingredients that are toxic to dogs, particularly onions. So steer clear of the store-bought ones unless you're absolutely sure they don't have onions in them. And when you make it for yourself, just add the things that aren't good for dogs last. Make the broth, add the onions later. It's so simple. Okay, so another question. I'm on a roll here. Okay, this is a weird one. Cat versus small dog. Who wins? Who wins? Well, some of that depends, definitely depends on the cat and the small dog. So I'll give you a quick example. If we're talking about a blind, deaf, 13-year-old, long-haired cat that's hardly moved even when it was young versus a Jack Russell, put your money on the Jack Russell, everybody. But if you're talking (laughs) about, I don't know, a four-year-old, five-year-old serval, or um, let's see, even an Abyssinian or a Siamese could give a a little Pekingese or a multi-poo or some dog bread to just sit in a lap. One of those, like a Shih Tzu, one of those <laughs> could really, really do some damage on one of those dogs. So you're talking about 10-pound animals, roughly. Cats, usually 10 to 15 pounds. These little tiny dogs are around that, too. And so pound for pound, who's the more fierce opponent? That so depends on the individual. The cats have the claws on all four paws, and the claws are much stronger than the dog's claws. They're used for slicing and attacking. So the cat's got the claws, but the dog's got more strength. The cat has more agility and can bound, leap out of the way, and then pounce back again, especially when we're talking about servals or, oh, yeah. But still, if the dog has quick reflexes, like a Jack Russell or a dog made for hunting, I put the dog's going to have the edge. Now, why are we even talking about this? Ladies and gentlemen, we should be teaching our cats and dogs to get along. So none of this should matter. And uh, start when they're young, if you can. If you can't start when they're young, bring the dog in on leash, have the cat with the person who loves cats. Go really, really slowly. Start at a huge distance, other side of the room. And just make sure the dog's never allowed to chase the cat. And the cat's never allowed to attack the dog. And you just work slowly toward peace. You get closer and closer over time. There's more on that on Deb Wolf, Pet Expert on YouTube, if you want to check that out. And there are demonstrations on there with cats and dogs. So this person that wrote in with this question said they have a Shih Tzu Bichon and Jack Russell. And they were wondering, you know, how their two dogs would fare if they ever got into a scrum, you know, a, a battle with a cat. 
So I was looking at that. I was looking at Shitsu Bishan and thinking, you know how they always shorten the names, right? Like a Cocker Spaniel Poodle is a Cockapoo. So I'm thinking Shitsu Bishan. Is that a shit on? Is that what that is? <laughs> Do they have to tell people that that's their dog breed? Oh, I hope not. Yes, I have a shit on. Do you really? Yes, I do. Okay. Well, bred for nothing but sitting on laps, a Shih Tzu Bichon is probably a very clever dog and willing to please. So you could use treats, not balls like you would use for the Jack Russell, but you could use treats to train this dog to do a bunch of little party tricks like beg, like roll over, like pray, all kinds of body position tricks, kissing and smiling and sneezing, all these things. And the dog would be happier for it. And of course, then you'd have an adorable dog who does something other than sit on your lap. All right, everybody, we're going to go to break, come back with a few more problems, and I'll give you some safety tips for those wild animals. Stay tuned on Animal Party Pet Life Radio. For those fortunate to have experienced the deep bond and unconditional love of a companion animal, the death that follows can be one of the most difficult and misunderstood losses to go through. Many times, this devastating loss goes unrecognized and trivialized by family and friends, leaving grieving pet parents struggling to find healthy ways to cope with the loss. In And I Love You Still, a thoughtful guide and remembrance journal for healing the loss of a pet, Dr. Julianne Corbin calls attention to the difficulties unique to the loss of a beloved pet and provides an interactive and compassionate guide to help you process your loss and work towards coming to a place of peace and healing. For those interested in journal therapy and looking for a professionally written and compassionate resource to help understand and reconcile the grief associated with the loss of your pet, this book is for you. And I Love You Still, a thoughtful guide and remembrance journal by Julianne Corbin is now available for purchase on Amazon and other major book retailers. Let's Talk Pets. Let's Talk Pets. On Pet Life Radio. Pet Life Radio. PetLifeRadio.com. <laughs> Hello, you're listening to Animal Party on Pet Life Radio with Deb Wolf. So I saw in the news, this could only be in Los Angeles, where the guy drives around with a treadmill in the back of his van and people book him for their little dogs so their little dog can go run on the treadmill. And at first I thought, well, that's ridiculous. Why aren't these people walking their dogs? I mean, come on, $100 just to put your dog in the back of a van on the treadmill. But then I started to think, yeah, like my the beginning of this first show, what if you live in an area that's plagued by coyotes, that your dog can never get a good run, not even in the backyard, not even supervised, that it's just always under attack or potential attack? Then, yeah, maybe this makes sense, a treadmill for your dog. So I kind of see the logic in it. But I really am hoping people will stop feeding the coyotes and get their garbage and compost under control because extermination doesn't work on coyote populations. As long as the food's available, they will thrive. And the more you kill, the more their birth rate goes up. So it doesn't help to have hunters out there trying to catch them or trap them. It really doesn't. We've got to control how we feed them and how we invite them into our communities instead. All right. So I'm going to go to another problem here. 
oh, how do you know when it's too cold or too hot for your dog? That's a really tough question. It so depends on your dog and the fur and the size and how acclimatized he is. So for example, if you take a dog that's supposed to be good in winter, but he's lived his whole life in California and you all of a sudden move to Alaska and the first day you get there, you throw him outside, that's not gonna work. He hasn't had time to grow the coat he needs. So we have to be conscious of when we're traveling, especially that, you know, a, a dog that maybe would be fine in the South on the beach has a winter coat right now because you're doing the snowbird thing. And now you're dragging him down <laughs> to what's basically a sauna while he's wearing a fur coat. So think about it. Think about your dog's coat, brush it out, groom it out, be ready for the weather you're about to face and be aware of the coat he's got. And if it's ample for the extremes you're about to expose him to. A big problem with hot and cold is their feet. You know, our dogs aren't wearing boots most of the time. They're barefoot. And so if they step on frozen metal, that's going to do a number on their skin. Might just sizzle it off, burn it off with frostbite. And also, same thing for the heat. They step on a hot metal grate, it's going to burn their skin. So you have to really be conscious of the ground. In places like Florida, the grass can be sharp. It can just cut right through those pads on a dog's feet, especially if he comes from the north where the grass is soft and he doesn't even know about it. So he's going to make a mistake and go running along the grass and cut his pads. So you really have to be conscious of all these types of things when you take a dog to a different place. Get your preventatives in order first if you're traveling, like flea meds and worm meds and all that stuff. Use spray on your luggage if you're staying in hotels. Spray your dog before and after because any place that's pet friendly is going to be parasite friendly too. So, and you might be exposing yourself to stuff you've never had before from other parts of the world. So be especially vigilant. And um, as far as keeping dogs outside in the cold, it's really quite dangerous because you just don't know if they, if their water freezes, the same with the heat, if their water spills, they can go without water on a hot, hot day, or it can freeze and they can't drink. And there's all kinds of mechanisms, plug in things and refillable water and things you can do to make that better. Your dog always needs shelter, shade, shelter, warmth, and water always. So you have to make sure that's the case. They have to be out of breezes and wind and that kind of thing if it's a cold climate. And they need some kind of hay or a dog bed that stays warm if it's truly a cold climate. So it's very difficult for me to say in such a broad way for the weather of the entire world, but there will be uh, notices posted with your local SPCA site. There will be ways of asking your vet. There will be information about your particular climate and what to do as winter comes. And the next time I have a vet on the show, I'll cover that again. But the main thing is water, shade, shelter. Okay. So now I'm going to cover that other topic of what to do if you're attacked. Well, it's pretty much the same, which is kind of surprising. You know, you'd think bears and cougars and coyotes are such different animals that there must be a different protocol, but there really isn't. For bears, you're supposed to be big and loud and slow and back away. And for cougars, it's basically the same thing, only real big, real loud. And grab your kids. Do not run ever. And I know that's so hard to say. I mean, how do you not run? How do you not run when a bear is chasing you? That's a tricky one, right? How do you not run? I don't know. I mean, I'd want to run, but you can't. You just can't. So what attracts bears? 
anything that we have cooked or about to eat, dirty barbecues or camp stoves, any item associated with food prep or cleanup, like dish rags, scrubbers, pots, pans, gray water, like the stuff, you know, you're washing your dishes at your campsite, the water sort of smells like food, that. Garbage, wrappers, empty bottles, cans, condiments, or anything that has been in contact with food. Containers for gas, oil, or other petroleum products. Pet food bowls. So those are the things that are going to actually make the bear come to your campsite, come to your cottage or cabin. If you encounter a bear while hiking, remain calm. Do not run. If the bear sees you, talk to it in a low, calm voice and take a step or two backwards. Carry bear spray with you. Only use it if you have to. And, um, you know, before you go off hiking in the woods with bear spray, it's a good idea to check out wildsafebc.com because they really go over this. How to use bear spray, when to use it, how to use it safely, and all the different things you need. And report any encounter with an aggressive bear to uh, wildlife conservation officers. In our area, it's one 952 So that's about the bears. Now about the cougars. Attacks by cougars are really rare. What draws them is food outside, pets outside, bird feeders, chickens and livestock, and don't feed any other animals like deer or anything like that. Because you might enjoy watching the deer and you might be feeding them, but the cougars are there too. And (laughs) you're just giving them dinner and making it easy for them to come to you. So there's a lot of problems with cougars. There's approximately 2,500 calls to conservation officers in my area about cougars. And so you really want an electric fence if you have chickens and you really want to avoid the fruit trees and the garbage and all the things that attract these predators. They are such formidable hunters. You really don't want to expect your dog to handle them. Now and again, I do cover a story, though, where a dog chases a cougar away. And sometimes it's a little dog. It's amazing what they'll do. But don't count on that. Cougars are extreme predators and they're not not to be underestimated. Okay, so I'm going to go to one more dog question before we wrap up the show. And actually, this is my own my own uh, dog. I have a dog called Fabio and he's a six month old standard poodle puppy. And normally standard poodles don't really care about food. It's almost like feeding a cat. You almost have to tempt them to eat. And I know people out there with a golden retriever or a lab or Portuguese water dog or cocker spaniel are listening to this thinking, what? <laughs> you have to tempt them with food? My dog eats anything that drops. He eats everything and anything and will eat everybody's food. Yeah, okay. That's the retriever. Even though poodles are cold water retrievers, they're a little bit different. My golden retriever, who is fitter. And I guess he had to compete too much for food because what was happening was put him with the big dogs that he's now part of, the pack, and he started to be food aggressive. He started to growl at these dogs twice his size and and try and hoard his food and take theirs. So what do you do when this happens? Well, normally with the dogs who are very food obsessed and very interested in food, I say, feed them separately at the same time. That's the best way. Then you know one dog isn't overeating and other dogs aren't hungry and there's no conflict and there's no stress at mealtime. They're not worried about who's going to get enough and will he take my food and that kind of thing. So that's normally the rule. But if you have dogs who are really quite indifferent to food and share well and will sort of go from bowl to bowl and they're not on special food anyway, and you feel like it's okay to free feed them, then you might want to get a guy like Fabio to fall into line, which is what I decided to do. 
So I put Fabio in a group with three older dogs, two are mamas, and they don't take nothing. They're, <laughs> Mama dogs are so good at discipline because they're gentle but firm and absolute. They set the standard. So the second Fabio growled at one of these mamas, she looked at him. What are you talking about, little one? Are you kidding me? You know, right away he got disciplined. So what I did was I put him with these three other dogs, one that's very mellow and easygoing and shares food and couldn't care less poodle and two female mama dogs who were very good at gentle discipline. And I just made sure that there were more dishes than dogs. Kind of like that game kids play musical chairs, you know, where there's not enough chairs. The opposite of that. More dishes than dogs. So if there were four dogs, I put six dishes in and I overfed, filled them up. And so what happened was I watched and Fabio learned that if he growled at anybody, they would chase him off that bowl. But if he just ate peacefully, nobody bothered him. And anyway, there was enough food for everybody. In the end, there was leftover in all the bowls. There was really no reason to fight at all. It took maybe two meals for Fabio to stop thinking about food as something he had to protect. So now he's a sharer and he doesn't care. And like all the other poodles, he's pretty indifferent to food. So I like that. He'll still work for a treat and he'll work for praise and he'll work for cuddles, but he's no longer causing issues with food and other dogs. So that's what I like to see. If you're looking for more behavioral tips, someone wrote in asking me, okay, I'm going to do this one before we go, even though we're coming to the end of the show. Good dude anyway. Someone asked me, what do I do with a one-year-old dog who won't come? Now, it's a long email, and in it, it kind of assumes the idea. It's got this firmly embedded idea that so many people have that you have to train your puppy when it's young or it's too late. Nonsense. It's never too late to train a dog. And a one-year-old dog is so impressionable and young and naive and ready to learn. There's no reason you can't teach this dog to come. So the big thing is use a leash. Okay, so you take a big, long leash when you wish you could let them go free, like at the big park or in the ravine or the forest or wherever, even the backyard, big long leash, let him do what he wants. And when you feel like it, yell his name. Uh, let me see. What's the name? I don't know the name. I can't find the name right now. So let's just say Rusty. So you yell out Rusty because I see a picture of the dog and he's red. Okay. So we yell out Rusty and then you pause a second or two, give him a chance to listen. If he doesn't look at you right away, give a quick little tug of the leash, just gently. So he looks, it makes his collar jingle and it gets his attention and he looks at you. That's good. And then you give his command, come, and you only say it once. Now you pull him toward you like a fish if he doesn't come. If he sort of comes or kind of comes or comes halfway or indifferently comes, anything like that is not acceptable. You pull him toward you like a fish until he comes all the way directly right in front of you. Then you touch him and you tell him to sit and you tell him how good he is. And then you say, okay, go. And you let him go again. And you repeat this over and over until he's just coming as if you don't even need the leash, as if the leash is just not necessary. That's when you drop your end. You still do the drill. When he's perfect like that, you take that long leash and you replace it with a short one. And you still do the drills. And when he's perfect like that, ta-da, he can go no leash. So you do that for a while. Every time you take him for a walk and you want to let him go, you do that. And if he earns it through those steps, if he's coming perfectly, absolutely 100% military kind of response, instant right to you, great. You move up to the next level and he gets some off-leash time. If he's not listening, 
if he's stalling, if he goes and pees on a bush, if he checks something out first, if he slows down on his way over. Well, he's showing you he's not going to come to you off leash. He's already he's showing you he's not even coming to you on leash. So keep the leash on and keep reviewing. It's so simple and it won't take long at all. You do this because most dogs think when you call them, the fun is over. And when you're doing this, the fun keeps going. He comes and then he gets to go again over and over. And he figures out, you know what? If I come, I get praised. I get touched. Maybe I get a treat sometimes if I do it really well. Nothing's lost. My owner's still here. I'm still here. We're still playing in the park. So I'm going to come when she calls me and see what good things she has for me. And then I'll go back and play again. And this just works so well. So check out Deb Wolf Pet Expert on YouTube to see Come When Called with dogs who don't come of different sizes and types. And you'll see how I go through it. It's really simple. It's really easy to do. I also have some really adorable Halloween pictures. We've started early here at Camp Good Dog. And every dog who comes to stay here this month is getting into a costume. That's right. Even the big tough guys, even the stubborn ones, even the hyper ones, even the ones who won't sit still, they're all learning to sit still and wear a costume. And so you can see them posing at Camp Good Dog on Facebook. Yep, they're there. Some of them look happy about it. One of them was so intense. He wanted so many costumes. We ended up dressing him up for Christmas. But <laughs> but most of them are learning some really good basics. Sit and stay. And you know what? It only takes a few seconds to snap the picture and then they get a treat. And by the time we get to their third costume try on, they usually are quite willing. So you can do it with your dog, too. And if you want to learn how, go to Deb Wolf Pet Expert on YouTube. I've got demos on that, too. I believe Daisy the Labradoodle demonstrated wearing a bridal ensemble at one point. And she is so hyper. She is a sporting Labradoodle, able to leap over anything, chase anything, doesn't ever want to sit still. And yet she did it. So your dog can do it too. I hope you're all having fun this month with Halloween and Thanksgiving and pumpkins. Ooh, and I've got an oh, delightful little pumpkin trick. Yes, if you have chickens and you want to have your chickens carve your pumpkin, it is so easy. You take a knife and you just scrape off the outer rind where you would have carved. So if you were going to carve a big smiley face, you scrape off a smiley face, just the outer rind. If you were going to carve circle eyes, you scrape off circles for eyes, just the outer rind. And then you put the pumpkin in the cage with the chickens and they will peck only the parts you scraped. And they'll peck right inside. They'll clean out the entire inside of the pumpkin. You'll be left with a perfect jack-o'-lantern without the mess. So, so that's my Halloween tip this year. Okay, everybody. Next week, I will be back with more dog tips and cat tips. And if you want to send me your questions, you're welcome to do that. I've had a great time. I hope you enjoyed the party today at Animal Party Pet Life Radio. From me, Deb Wolf, and from Pet Life Radio. Be good to animal. Let's Talk Pets, every week on demand, only on PetLifeRadio.com.